Hi, everyone. I'm Jessica Deruzza, and this is the Trust Psyche podcast on astrology and depth psychology. I'm a psychotherapist, astrologer, and teacher, and you can find me at trustpsyche.com, where you can begin studying astrology with me today. Thank you so much for being here with me. I really appreciate you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. First, I want to begin by saying that I really love and cherish being here with each of you. This podcast is my sanctuary. It's my safe and sacred place to be able to come on here and share what is going on in my heart and in my mind. And I just find it um, such a gift to be able to share with you what is happening and I have to say that coming out of this most recent eclipse season here in Scorpio Taurus has been the most difficult and challenging eclipse season that I have ever been through in my life and I'm hoping and thinking that some of this is going to resonate and connect with you that are listening here as I share some of my personal stories of what's been going on in these last days and weeks. And as we come out the other side here, it's November 14th, 2022. This is episode stream 33 on the Trust Psyche podcast. I'm Jessica Deruzza, and it's my honor and my privilege to be able to share my story with each of you. I think there's a lot of astrological technicality of why this eclipse season was so potent. I think, first of all, the signs that it's in, Taurus, Scorpio, um, add a certain kind of shamanic depth to what is already uh, a time period of uh, portal opening. Uh, eclipse season happens twice a year, and... Um, it's a time period where uh, our conscious and unconscious energy is amplified and accelerated. And when you bring in, especially the energy of Scorpio, there's an extra depth um, deep into the waters that has a profoundly, at times, cataclysmic quality to it. Um, it's definitely uh, primordial, and so we're getting really into the, the core elemental um, aspect of being human. Um, it runs so much deeper than the conscious and subconscious mind um, into the unconscious where all of our phylogenetic history exists um, as uh, our ancestors and um us as primates and going back and back and back and back, you know, even to um, our Lavic origins. And for me, it's like going into the core of the earth, going into the core of the sun. There's this primordial soup, there's this lava, there's this profound intensity that's so pre-verbal. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a large aspect of consciousness, of the universe, um, of our human history and of this earth history. 
And that the part of us that can speak, the part of us that is rational, the part of us that wants to articulate, the part of us that wants to categorize and write and read and all these things which are beautiful is so recent, is so new, is really just the very, 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 very tip of the iceberg of what it means to be human. And I think that this eclipse season has really brought me and so many of us back to our core, to our primordial roots and core, uh, that lavic core that I'm calling it, that is so pre-verbal, pre-rational. And the fact that the nodal axis was also tightly on the exactitude of the Saturn square Uranus in the sky for all of us right now, um, you know, there's a profound tension in that and a profound anxiety um, that comes with Saturn squaring Uranus. Uh, it's an extremely difficult transit that the whole world and all of us have been going through. And then when you get the nodes and the eclipses on that outer planetary alignment, um, the extreme intensification and amplification of that tension and anxiety goes to <clears throat> quantum levels of experience. And... Um, I think that's part of what gives it this kind of cataclysmic energy. And I think it has this real capacity to um, ask us for mercy, really. I mean, I've, I've, I've begged for mercy in these last weeks, just in on my knees, you know, just that kind of whoo, um, the kind of life taken out of you or your, your breath taken out of you and just like, <gasps> you know, gasping, grasping um, for help and support and benevolence and serenity and peace. And I think that um, I want to address some really just very human important issues around death and around birth and around children and parenting. Um, it, it becomes tricky for me on here to talk about motherhood and to talk about my daughter um, for many reasons out of protection um, of the sanctity of our space and our personal life, but also, you know, sometimes out of fear of being judged or misunderstood or somebody else feeling judged, you know, by what I'm saying, being a mother is, I think, one of the most vulnerable experiences we can have. And um, it leaves me in a constant vulnerable state and constantly on my growth edge um, and constantly having to stand up and advocate for what's right for my child and for me and for my family and an ever-changing, growing situation day by day and having to feel my way through something that in, is literally a first time every time. <laughs> an FFT, right? A fucking first time every time. So, you know, that's really the place I've been in for the last two years. My daughter, Lou Sophia, turned two in October. Yay! I turned two, Travis turned two, we all turned two. And there were so many things to celebrate in that, but there were also some really, some of the most challenging things I've ever had to deal with in my entire life coming up at the same time, really leading us into this eclipse season. So I kind of need to back up here and set the stage of what's happened. You know, with coming out of this pandemic, there has been so many different shortages, right, in the supply chain and economic inflation and instability politically and socially. 
um, this pandemic was a profound reckoning and revelation of so many of our societies and cultural issues just here in the United States, but around the entire world, right? This has been a global phenomenon. Um, and we can look back at what other time periods has humanity collectively gone through something, you know, perhaps during the last ice age. You know, it's like, where is there this kind of collective human trauma in our memory that gets um, activated when we are going through this current collective uh, trauma together? And we all have our personal story within this larger story of this pandemic. And there's so many different facets and layers to it, so much complexity and nuance. But I'm going to kind of anchor in and hone in on mine. I'm gonna add, the thing is, is that I got pregnant three days after um, lockdown happened here. So, you know, I don't quite like this term, but people called babies born during the pandemic a pandemic baby. And so, okay, I have a pandemic baby, but it's I didn't choose to have that consciously because I got pregnant before um, there was the understanding of what COVID was going to do. And so I get pregnant, three find out, and then three days later, there's lockdown. So I spend the, my entire pregnancy in isolation. Um, and there's so many things that, you know, there is to say about that. But um, coming through that experience, I, in my third trimester um, at 33 weeks, got high blood pressure. And two weeks later, um, at 35 weeks, I found out or I was diagnosed with having preeclampsia, which is a serious condition that requires um, very close monitoring and medical attention and usually the induction of the baby because you can't go to full term uh, because there's complications with the fetus getting all of the oxygen and nutrients it needs. Plus the mother, myself, is at risk for having uh, stroke and seizure and potentially the mother or the child dying. So an extremely serious situation happening at the most vulnerable moment in a woman's life, right when she's about to give birth, um, just on an animal level, uh, you know, you can't walk or run anymore. You need help from everyone. You need support. You're fatigued. You're exhausted. All of these things, right? It's just a sheerly vulnerable um, thing to go through, not just emotionally and mentally and spiritually, but of course physically, and that taps into our survival. I mean, it is core root chakra issues that come up, I think, for every mother um, when she's approaching giving birth and then giving birth. And then, of course, we all know that sheer kind of psychotic exhaustion that comes from the sleep deprivation um, after the baby's born. And this isn't something we talk about a lot as a society, which I think is deeply patriarchal, misogynistic, and very traumatizing and um, unkind, really, for mothers and for children and families. It's unkind to our species to not be more explicitly and directly talking about these issues and really making it a societal issue instead of an individual issue, which is what it's become in our nuclear secularized society. Very sad in our hyper-individualized, independent society, which is false and a joke and harmful. So I go through all of that 
and, um, you know, in just utter sleep deprivation, but, um, you know, continuing to work, continuing to teach, continuing to do the things that I love and that make me a whole person, you know, the things that are true about me. That's not just about being a mom, being a wife, um, and, um, sacrificing everything that I have, um, and moving mountains to be able to, uh, co-raise my child with my husband Travis and from home while working from home during the pandemic as so many of us had to do make tremendous sacrifices and move mountains um, to logistically um, make these resources that were so limited um, time space um, and child care and so one of the shortages during the pandemic is childcare. There's been a real loss of childcare. It's very difficult now to get a babysitter or a nanny. Uh, every childcare center, whether that's a daycare, a preschool, and even some kindergartens have wait lists. Um, in my county, not everyone could get into kindergarten last year because there wasn't enough teachers. And um, so it became clear that we needed help and that we couldn't just do it on our own or with with the help of the grandparents moving forward after Lucy's first birthday last year. So we got on a waiting list to get her into an early education center and we had to wait nine months. Nine months from the moment that we were so desperate for extra support. And um, so we did everything we could to make it through those nine months as, a, as any parent. Um, does right to to survive and to best care for their child and you know uh, earlier this year thank god Luce began to sleep through the night which is probably the biggest feat for any parent once that happens and there's such a range of when that happens for parents you know some parents never have to deal with their child not sleeping through the night and others go through it you know until the child is seven eight nine ten um, so it really, it really is a huge range of when that window happens, but when it happens, it is nothing short of a miracle. And there is this incredible life force that comes back to you over time. I mean, first of all, you're traumatized and you're in a state of PTSD for real. And I mean, you hear phantom cries in the night. You still, your nervous system can't regulate. You still can't sleep through the night. I mean, it's very crazy making. It's the most crazy making thing I've ever been through in my life. And so you come come out of that, we start to get energy back. And in the summer, uh, in July, we all get COVID for the first time. And um, first I get it. And then uh, Travis and Luce get it. So our whole family has it for a month. And this is just, of course, so difficult when it's just Travis and I taking care of Luce, working from home again, needing to show up. For all of our commitments um, and take care of one another and there's just not enough to go around and this is probably one of the greatest tragedies of our time is that the way our society is set up being so secularized so nuclearized is that there's not the proper support in place for families when sickness and illness happens and um, it's one of the most stressful things that families have to go through. Statistically, when you have a child under the age of five, you get sick 30% more than uh, other adults 
because the child is being exposed to so many germs and children's immune systems don't fully develop until they're eight years old. So all of us as children usually got sick anywhere from six to 12 times a year up through the age of eight because of our developing immune systems. Well, think about that. When you get pulled out of school or you get pulled out of daycare because you have a fever, who takes care of you? One of your parents. But we live in a society in the United States where both parents have to work now in order to support the family. And a lot of people don't get paid sick days or don't get enough paid sick days, right? And if you're self-employed, then there are no paid sick days. You're just straight up losing that income and, you know, going through all of the worries of that, which is what, of course, I go through because both Travis and I are self-employed. So we go through the COVID and August comes around and school's about to start. And we're so excited to finally, after nine months, get this support. And we put Luce into school and she immediately gets sick. And it's called the daycare barrage. Anytime you put a kid into a child care center, they immediately get sick. And so does your whole family because of all the germs they're exposed to. She brought home four different viruses in one month that we all got. And it puts you in a very, very vulnerable, weakened state as you get when you get sick. We all know this. When we're sick, um, we're, we're more vulnerable emotionally, mentally, physically. So we go through all of that and we get to the end of September and I live on a barrier reef island in the Gulf of Mexico in Florida, and what happens? Hurricane Ian comes in, a category four, almost five, the highest level of a category hurricane, comes directly towards where we live. And we are mandated to evacuate our island and our home with our two-year-old. And we go inland to get away from the ocean and from the eye of the storm, which ends up landing 50 miles south of where we live. And we lose power and clean water for two weeks. So here we are coming out of these illnesses and approaching eclipse season. This hurricane comes and we have to leave. And because we both work from home, we need power and internet to be able to see clients, to do therapy, to get readings, to teach. We lost all of that. There was not even cell service here. I have never been through a natural disaster like that. The winds were upwards of 150 miles per hour. Um, Huge trees down everywhere. Um, It has taken two months to clean up the fallen trees from my street alone. Uh, Most of where I live still hasn't been cleaned up from the storm. And there's just not enough... um, resources to take care of everybody because the hurricane was 500 miles wide which is twice the width of the state of florida the eye of the hurricane was 40 miles wide so this is to give you context of how massive this storm was massive right so go through this incredible natural disaster you know lose our home Uh, for a couple weeks with our two-year-old right on the go just trying to survive we figure it out 
and we're able to continue to work and to, to take care of her. Of course, we lose childcare again because the school system shuts down. And within that time, we find out that Travis has an infection in his root of his tooth and he needs a root canal which is part of the reason why he had been getting so sick every time Luce brought a virus home because his immune system had been weakened. So we get him the root canal, which of course is a lot of money, as you know. And it's like, oh my God, it's just one thing compounded after another. And you become so stripped down. You become so depleted. You become so... Mm, on the edge of losing trust and faith in the process of what's going on because things are so hard. And I've heard this from so many of you, that this is how hard things, how compressed, how pressurized, how intense things have been. And at times, life or death, facing real illnesses, real loss, loss of family members, loss of loved ones. So we come through the other side of the hurricane and it's Lucy's second birthday. And on the day of her second birthday, school's closed because it's parent-teacher conferences. And we've never met this one teacher of Lucy. She has three teachers. And we'd met the other two, but we hadn't met this, like, kind of senior one who seems to be, like, more of the administrative person. We go in, and in the first five minutes of meeting this person, she tells us that she's administered a test for Lucy against our knowing or consent to see if she's on the spectrum because uh, Luce isn't listening to her or following her instructions. She goes through this test that she administered, like your child doesn't stack blocks or twist a lid close or kick a ball, like all these milestones for a two-year-old. And she's going on and on, and I interrupt her, and I just am like, hey, I want to talk to you about what I think's going on here. My child does all these things at home when she feels safe, when she feels connected, when she feels loved. Um, and my sense is, is that when she doesn't feel that way with somebody, she isn't going to... Um, respond and do these things. Furthermore, my child is extremely independent, willful, and has a mind of her own. Now, I told Travis that I thought something like this was going to happen because when you look at Lucy's astrology and her birth chart, she has classic signatures of what I've seen in my 15 years of giving readings of people labeling children as either slow or behind or a learning disability. Um, and Though those things could be true, either for loose or for other children with these signatures, typically what I find is that there's a labeling and diagnosing going on very early that has more to do with the teacher and their blind spots and limitations than it does with the child in front of them. Or it has more to do with the old school mainstream paradigm of what it means to be human and what education is and what the relationship or pedagogy is between teacher and student than it does with the being or soul in front of them. Now, for children who are on the spectrum or need extra support, 
I absolutely am so grateful to the programs and the teachers that are in place that are there to do that. But I am seeing so many children getting labeled and diagnosed and put on medication before the age of five because they somehow seem deviant or they somehow seem divergent from what is considered normal. Did you know that one in 54 children are being diagnosed on the autism spectrum? If one in 54 children are being diagnosed on the autism spectrum, then perhaps we need to begin to reimagine and expand what we know or think it is to be human. When you tell a parent something like this teacher told us that day, that is a seed you cannot unplant. I went through the most torturesome three weeks after that point, questioning myself, going into extreme levels of self-doubt. Now, what this person didn't know is that they were telling this to a psychotherapist. I am trained in child psychology. I worked with children early in my psychotherapy practice a decade ago. And my child hasn't shown signs of needing any kind of extra support. In many respects, she's shown the opposite of that. She is different. She has uh, mercury station retrograde, which often gets labeled as slow or having a learning disability. I see this all the time with folks who have this in their chart. But she also has mercury opposite Uranus, which is a unique, different, or eccentric path towards learning. And what I also have seen is this society of ours is obsessed, I think to a pathological degree, with getting our children to move out of the pre-verbal stage of consciousness into talking at such a young age with so much pressure and expectation that I think humanity is losing one of the central aspects of what it is to be human and the intelligence and wisdom of our human history, which has largely been pre-verbal. When children are pre-verbal, pre they experience the world experientially through sensory perception. It's a tactile experience through the mouth, through the ears, through the skin, through the body. It's a very physical immersion in the world. And when you force a child to start to put words to things before they naturally want to do so, which we all end up doing at some point and there's a wide range of when that can happen and yes language is important and being able to point at things is important and to be and able to communicate is important and milestones are there you know to help us okay I get that but this obsession with needing children to do things a certain way and to talk has more to do with us as parents in a cognoscentric mind obsessed world than it does about our children. We need to stop doing this to each other. 
it kills freedom it kills creativity it kills joy before this moment happened i was in a full immersive experience with my daughter we were one with a profound psychic connection and we still have that and no one will take that from us but this seed of doubt that was planted made me question who i was It was the most awful experience I've ever been through. And on top of that, I could not in good conscience send my child back to somebody to take care of her when she's not with me who can't see her for who she is and her brilliance and her uniqueness and all the ways she might be different, which are all the things that I sacrificed over the last two years to make sure she would maintain her freedom her curiosity, her playfulness. My child is not a dog who does tricks. You don't stay stack blocks and if she doesn't do it, there's something wrong with her. Furthermore, if you do not have a connection with my child, a bond with her, a sacred bond, she does not have to listen to you and she won't. And no one will make her. Not me, not her father, nobody. I respect her discernment about who she wants to connect with and who she does not. We let our children get into abusive dynamics and relationships by conditioning their instinct out of them. I am not going to force her to touch anybody, hug anybody, say hi to anybody that she does not want to. I do not care how rude or impolite it may seem, family member or otherwise. My child's instinct will stay intact and she will always get to say no. Because you take that steps further down the road and that protects her from somebody touching her inappropriately one day that protects her from getting into relationships that are toxic and abusive and manipulative. And as someone who has gone through my own abuse, I will do everything within my power to heal that in my lineage. And that starts with my daughter. It always starts at home. And if we want to address something like bypassing or spiritual bypassing, the place we begin is saying, are you physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually present at home with the ones that you live with, whomever that may be? Are you present and tending and showing up for those relationships with care and kindness and self-introspection and communication? Are you keeping your word? Right? No matter how sleep deprived I got, I was there for my daughter when she needed me at night when she would wake up and she couldn't put herself back down to sleep. 
no matter what, I was there. Because that's how secure attachment is formed. And the best thing we can give to our children is secure attachment. Because when you ha are securely attached, you're self-possessed, you're competent, your nervous system is at ease and regulated. So I can sit here and say, I want peace in the world. I can sit here and say, I want the world to change in these ways. But if I'm not willing to practice secure, healthy attachment with my own child and my husband, then how could I ever expect the world to become a more loving, peaceful place? It's our humanity that anchors and grounds us in our ideologies. And I'm a very ideological person. I love my ideologies. I love my fantasies. I love my dreams. I love my big visions. But if I'm not showing up for myself and my loved ones, then what the fuck am I doing? So in the midst of going through all of that, torture I find out that uh, one of my beloved students died and this person was a really special being um, who I'd gotten the privilege to know and work with over the past seven years and they unexpectedly passed and it was heartbreaking so loss of these beloved people was so heartbreaking and it got me thinking a lot about death charts and birth charts and astrology and sometimes I'll have people say you know I'm afraid that I'm you know someone in my life's gonna die during an eclipse and Though I can, you know, respect that concern, um, and that obviously that does happen sometimes, as it did in this case, um, it's just so important to remember that there's, I think, a real central paradigm shift that we need to make in astrology around how we understand uh, transits for when somebody dies. And that is this, um, there can't be a transit that correlates with death because people die every second of every day under every kind of world transit and personal transit. That's just fact. Um, just as there can't be a correlate for a birth chart because a person is born every second of every day under every transit so you know it's like if there was a correlate for a birth chart we would all have to have like moon uranus or sun uranus or uranus rising or something like that right and the same would be true for for death charts but i think the paradigm shift that we can make once we let go of okay there's there's no aspect that correlates to that specifically to being born or to dying, um, we can think of the transits as um, both the passageway of that soul either coming in 
as the birth chart or the passageway of the soul going out as in the death chart and the quality of in this case the death so both the quality of what the death was like for the person who died and the soul's journey back to the other side but also the experience that those who are left behind have of that person's death which then can be seen in the transits of the moment of the death um and i think this is something that's really important for us to slow down and take in and i want to say that when somebody dies during an eclipse or eclipse season that i i i get a vision of the soul just riding out on a dragon and it's it's a it's a profound moment for the soul to leave and i think it can really kind of like medicinally amplify like that soul's experience of leaving this world into the next but also equally so for all those who are touched or impacted by the death of this person they experience it at an eclipse level um and i think the same can be true for when a soul is born during an eclipse or an eclipse season it's got a similar quality of like coming in on a dragon um so there's a power there and there's a potency there um but i think we miss so much when we go into uh causality or even a correlation of you know this transit equals death versus let's get really curious about looking at phenomenologically like the quality of what the um aspects are um the archetypal energies of that moment and be able to talk from that place or have a conversation from that place um i want to say that a big aspect of coming out of eclipses is about release and integration and this is where it comes back to this idea of obfuscation where we become blinded to the thing we most need to see and usually there's an ailment involved um there's something there that um is ca- is like a certain level of acute suffering around excuse me the thing or things in our life that we most need to wake up to at this point that we become most blind to it and then there's something that happens usually some kind of dramatic events or just kind of powerful event that comes in that gets us to wake up to something and to see the very thing that we're most needing to see into the core or the center of and i find that eclipse season has a real quality of doing that blinding and then that revealing and then the releasing out the other side from the eclipse season and kind of waking up from like a possession state and in this case with scorpio i think there's a real kind of getting pulled down into the underworld which often taps in to levels of um confrontation with our mortality with death uh, whether that's physical or literal or existential um it definitely taps into like second first chakra like very primal energies life or death energies and then there's you know a moving through that and coming out the other side and having to go through the process of like seeing truth um the truth of what's there and then moving forward from what has been revealed during eclipse season 
So I have to ask myself, what is the truth of what, what wants to be revealed here in this eclipse season for me? And the truth of what I see as I stand inside this portal and do my best to ride this cosmic dragon without going down in complete flames is that I have to trust my intuition and I have to move slowly and listen deeply in order to be able to feel my way into my truth moment to moment as it becomes more and more revealed of what it is that wants to happen here. And I look at the events that take place during this eclipse season <clears throat> and I'm humbled and I'm destroyed and I'm depleted, but I'm also given sweet relief and hope and movement towards the future. I took a pause from recording this and went out to our first day of childcare and our amazing gift of an angel sent by the angels. Um, I walk out and I see that my daughter is happy. I see that she is safe. I see that she feels connected. She feels seen and supported. And my nervous system immediately relaxes at such a deep level. And I can psychically and energetically feel that this is what's best for her. To stay close to home, to continue to live a wild and free life in nature, at the beach, on the bike, in the woods. All the things that we have done for the past two years together singing and dancing and playing music and going to hear music, exploring the world and having a best friend and caretaker to be there with her while she continues to do that. And so my daughter being held allows me to be held, which then allows me to come and hold others more deeply in this circle of life. I am immensely grateful right now and relieved on such a cellular level to be able to say, that we found proper care, that it took a lot of suffering and hardship and confusion and bumps in the road to get here, but that's life. That's life. We all go through that. Bumps in the road, confusion, not knowing, feeling our way through, making a mess, being in a mess, right? It doesn't mean we're doing anything wrong. It just means that we're human and life throws us these curveballs. And I go out and the nanny says, I listen to your podcast and I like it. And I was so touched by that, that she took the time to see what I do and wanted to listen to this. That means a lot to me as a mother and um, yeah, just as a human. That someone would take the time to be interested in me and what I do. So, eclipse, eclipses, <clears throat> and I think psyche wants healing and it orchestrates events for healing to happen. And there's usually a stripping down that takes place 
in order to be redirected, right? Rejection as redirection or rejection as protection. It's like these places where we get stuck or we get lost or we go blind. And then we come back to center. We come back to home. We come back to self where our truth is. Where there's no prescription or formula of how to live, but a deep listening that comes from a deep knowing and a tremendous courage to continue to live into that unfolding moment to moment and going through the process of remembrance of how to come back to home, come back to self, to receive the call, to know where to go next. The healing of proper child care after two years of needing help and the uh, amazing realization that not only is there um, nothing wrong or nothing that needs to be fixed, but I got a chance to meet after two years the nurse who essentially facilitated my diagnosis of preeclampsia and I had been carrying <clears throat> that trauma in my body for the past two years. And right on the day of the lunar eclipse, uh, we met and we had a healing experience where no was it shown that I do not have high blood pressure and I don't need to be on medication and that I'm healthy and everything's fine. She also let me know how proud she was of me and what a wonderful mother I am and what an amazing job I'm doing. And that coming from that nurse after two years of what I've been through with my daughter and with my health was really the deep release that I needed of trauma in my body to let go and to move forward. So there were gifts in here, hard, hard, hard earned gifts, but gifts. And again, this movement towards healing, this, this facilitation of healing. I will say that a lot of this understanding for me in Scorpio, which has been on my Pluto is, People don't get to have power just because of their title or role, whether they're a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, whomever. You earn power, and no matter what somebody says to you, that, that trust needs to be there in order to take in to your inside what it is that they're saying. And I learned a very hard lesson, which is, I don't care who you are or what you say. If I don't trust you, if we're not connected, I'm not going to let you in. And I'm not going to let in what you're saying. And I will protect that in me. And I will protect that in my child. I'll end by saying this. There is a rightness to being human. 
when we're willing to stay with our truth and all the feelings um, and sensations that go along with that um, revealing an inherently vulnerable process um, but one that I would not trade for anything and the movement of the north node in Taurus is a movement towards joy it's a movement towards pleasure it's a movement towards knowing what your values are what you find beautiful what you're attracted to what you desire not anybody else no matter whether that's society or your parents or your teachers or your partner it doesn't matter it's about your values and what you desire what you enjoy and deeply knowing that from the inside out which is the only place that we can know that from and so as we come out of writing this cosmic dragon we're leaving behind the south node in the sense that the hardships of the unresolved wounds the traumas the depths and coming into yes a lighter place that is about pleasure and that is about joy and really asking ourselves what feels good what do i need right now to feel good and what i need right now to feel good is to know that my child is safe and loved and protected and engaged on a level that is true to her soul and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that she has that for the rest of my days and whenever I feel anxiety or unsettled about something that is my higher self's way of letting me know hey something's off here and there just needs to be an adjustment and that's okay because things are constantly changing we're constantly changing so I stand in my truth today and I'm so happy to say that because Travis and I are now being held, we are ready to come back into the world in a renewed, revived way and we have just set the dates for our upcoming course in 2023, Aspects in Astrology, Sacred Geometry. We would love for you to join us. We're going to be opening registration at trustpsyche.com here in the coming days and we're so excited to be able to share with you everything that we've been researching and studying and are just so excited to teach and to teach together and to be with all of you and to share space once again after this incredible journey that we've all been on. I'll also be announcing a workshop for next year and that I'll be giving and there's going to be a really fun event in January so um, all of that is going to be coming out in the coming days and I'll be giving you all the specifics on the next episode and I just want to thank you so much for being alive for being here from living from your heart and just doing everything you do to make this world a more beautiful place. I'm sending all my love, and I'll see you guys next time. We are dreamed into existence. What we do with that dream is up to us. How we dream is as important as what we dream, for the what of the dream knows itself through the how.